and welcome to Church Central. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Becky and I'm a member of Church Central South. And this morning I get to welcome you to the second of our monthly sessions called Questions in Crisis. This morning we're looking at the question, what has the current crisis taught us about ourselves? And whatever your experience of church is, whether online or offline, whether this is your first time or whether you come frequently, you are so welcome this morning and we'd love to be a part of this conversation with you. And so very practically, we're going to hear a short talk from Johnny Meller, followed by an interview with two members from Church Central West, Lam Chin and Patty, who are going to be sharing a little bit out of their own personal experiences of lockdown. But like I said earlier, we want you to feel a part of the conversation with us. And so at 10.45, there's going to be an opportunity to join a live Q&A on Zoom. The link will appear on the website and it will be an opportunity for you to ask any question. It will be anonymous, which means that no one will see your face or hear your voice. You can pop your question either on the chat function on Zoom or there'll be a mobile number um, and you can text your question through that. Um, and it's an opportunity for you to grill the panellists, any question. Um, so for now, um, I'm going to hand over to Johnny. So please make yourself feel at home and I'll see you on Zoom at 10.45. Now, when lockdown was announced in the UK on the 23rd of March 2020, I'm sure many of us, once we came to terms with what was about to happen, asked the question, what on earth are we going to do now? We're pent up in our homes. We've got no contact to our friends, we can't go to school, we can't go to university, and for many of us, we can't do our jobs. What are we going to do? Well, over the last couple of months, uh, one answer has become clear to that question. Uh, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to learn stuff. That's what we're going to do. Uh, YouTube has reported that uh, titles of videos like How To or Step By Step, those videos have been watched 65% longer than what they were at this time last year. And across search engines, the same pattern has emerged. There's predictably been a notable rise uh, in school-related questions, questions about punctuation and fractions and grammar. My contributions to those, to uh, Google, have been what is a fronted adverbial and what is an expanded noun phrase. And I'm going to be honest, I've got little ideas still now what those things are. However, even for those who aren't struggling supply homeschool teachers, there has also been an increase uh, in learning requests to our search engines. Some other popular requests have been, how do I make hand sanitizer? How do I make face masks? How do I make bread? And of course, how do I cut my hair? Now, some of you kids who are nearing the end of your homeschooling half term may disagree with this next statement, but I think it is probably fair to say that we love learning and we are learners. And the crisis has taught us that. However, it's not just that the crisis has given us some space to learn things that we otherwise wouldn't have have, have, have done. It's also true that the crisis itself has taught us some things directly, I think. It's a bit of a double whammy, isn't it? You've got uh, the global catastrophe element and the lockdown element, and those things combining have caused many of us to take a long, hard look at ourselves, both as individuals and as a society. And again, we've shown a desire to learn, not just in the crisis, but from the crisis itself. And I wanna talk about that a little bit today. What I wanna do is this. I want to survey some of the things that many of us have learned so far and get some different voices into the mix. But then I'd like to put forward some lessons that I've learned so far, or at least some things that have come to my attention uh, from the crisis. 
But also, I'd like to relate all of this to a lesson that the Bible would put forward that it would be good for all of us to learn all the time. And I, I hope you'll see uh, as I do that, how that seems to overlap quite neatly with some of the things that we're thinking about at the moment. So to kick things off then, I've spent the last couple of weeks asking a load of people today's question. And so, Johnny's friends, what has the crisis taught us about ourselves? Spending time with your kids is the greatest thing in the world. But uh, also does have its limits. I could have I could happily move to the country and live a simpler life, I think. This has taught me to be more resilient and more active and proactive and not be down in the dumps just to get out there and do things. It's taught me that um, I'm a lot more selfish than I was prepared to admit and um, that has led me to to run to God and say, oh, I, I, I don't want to be like this. I, I want to be, to be to be better. I'm just being thankful for being having company and not being lonely. And then enjoying the garden, looking at the trees coming out to new life and, and the flowers, and just knowing that God's in control there, not us. So what I've learned from this crisis is that having been self-employed for a number of years, um, lived on my own for about 12 years, been self-employed for about 20, uh, spent quite a lot of time of that working on my own. And some of the personal challenges and mental health challenges that I've faced are the same things that people are generally facing. Um, certainly after about two or three weeks, really, people started talking about the sort of loneliness kicking in and the boredom. Um, so really, it just taught me that some of the struggles that I've had um, are fairly normal, really, and uh, makes me feel, I guess, more confident about going forward um, and being able to, to cope with things, really. I think I've learned about myself um, during the crisis is that I have an actual stress threshold, and I think I reached it and possibly went above it. I mean, I was talking to Lisa about this. It's a difference in what we want versus what we need. Um, a lot of the things I thought I wanted before aren't really that important now. Because life's really stripped back, it's just kind of really, really kind of made me more aware of like, I suppose, God and all of that. Um, that actually he's all around, he's been around all this time. And actually now that I'm in crisis, semi-crisis mode, um, I've actually got space to kind of, um, I've got space to make space for him, really. So I would definitely say that the crisis has taught me that I like and being around people a lot more than I thought. Uh, I consider myself to be a very independent person and when lockdown first kind of got introduced, I thought, you know, that I could I could handle this for pretty indefinitely. But, you know, as the weeks have gone by, I've missed having, you know, my colleagues, my peers around me. I've always been like a planner. I love planning things and um, my head would be foremost of the week about what I'd do at the weekend. and. Um, it's really like taught me to simplify life and not having to fill the day with so many things actually um, I, I can just be more I feel more relaxed if, if, if anything I feel that I'm, I'm grateful it's making me grateful for everything I've got in my life and also thinking about some stuff I don't need that I have I've been really proud of my staff at work they've been really good and we've been spoiled at work we've had loads of chocolate and easter eggs and um yeah i've actually find out i actually feel really protective of my staff 
as well, because some of them have been sent to the wards. The thing I've learned from the crisis is that I need to be prepared to serve those who are closest to me well and consistently and joyfully. I have learned to slow down, spend more time with God and reevaluate what I'm building my life on, what's most important and who's most important. So just taking out the things that I don't need to be doing, resting more and realising that I'm more productive that way anyway. What I've learned about myself is that I can do a lot more than I thought I could. Because I always said I couldn't manage the three boys on my own. But even if Ben's at home, he's working, so I've actually been able to manage him. And it's not as bad as I thought. Admittedly, I'm probably not doing as much learning as I probably could, but we're having fun and enjoying it. The other thing I've found out is I actually really like cycling, because I've been cycling to work. I actually enjoy gardening. I think I'm a bit of an apocalyptic hoarder, so it's been good to dampen that down and let Dave do the shopping which possibly is an excuse to let Dave do the shopping, but it works for me. Thanks so much uh, to you guys who gave us a little bit of a window into the lessons you're learning at this time. I really appreciate it. And I hope for you guys listening, uh, some of that stuff uh, would have resonated with you. Well, I just want to pick up a couple of things that we heard from some of the people there. And the first one I'd like to pick up is this. It seems for many of us that one lesson we're learning is that we are appreciating at this time stillness and slowing down. One of the things that came through most strongly from those Vox Pops was that people were learning to appreciate a slower pace of life. Now, just to be really clear, I recognise not all of us would associate this time with a slower pace of life. Um, And for some of you, you might even be quite annoyed on bringing this up if your experience is completely the opposite. But don't worry, trust me, in a minute, um, we'll turn to that side of the equation, hopefully learn some lessons from people in your position too. With that said, it is the case that for many people at the moment, they see their lives being stripped back of all sorts of things. Stripped back of school, stripped back of university, stripped back of work, stripped back of the daily commute, uh, stripped back of pressing momentum of social engagements. And I guess many of us are, are learning to come to terms with the fact that the pause button has been pressed on our lives in many ways. One of my Facebook friends replied to a thread Uh, in which I put this question up on Facebook, and they simply put it like this, that I have learnt the importance of stillness. I guess the very reason we were able to process these lessons that we're learning and think about them is because of this slowing down, because of this stillness. It gives us a whole load of new time to reflect for some of us. We're reflecting on what we're like, I guess, and more widely, we're reflecting on what life is like. And as we do that, I think it gives us a fresh perspective on what life was like before in a bid to set new habits for what things might be like afterwards. You see, when things change, you get this contrast to what you have seen as normal. When everything continues in exactly the same way for a long period of time, it's very natural just to assume that's the only way things can ever be. But when things change, suddenly you begin to critique the normal and think of other ways that things could be as well. And I think lots of people are doing this. I've heard many people uh, in these times commenting on their lives before the virus and saying things like it was uh, it was unsustainable. Uh, The balance was all wrong. I was too driven. I was too stressed. I didn't give time to the things that were important. 
And often these observations are followed very quickly with a statement like, and whatever happens, I'm not going back to the way it was before. Now, we'll see uh, how, how it happens. We'll see how true uh, those, those statements of intent are. But that is certainly how many people are feeling at the moment. Many people, but certainly not all people. As I mentioned before, for some people, this period is not associated at all with stillness. In fact, you're busier than ever before. And that was certainly the case for one of my Facebook friends who private messaged me when I put this message on Facebook. And this is what he said. Hi, Johnny. In response to what have I learned about myself, it is that I am a jealous person who feels miserable and angry that I have to get up early and go to work while others have the blessing and privilege of staying at home. And when they eventually return to work, they will still have their full annual leave entitlement. Sorry. Now, I really appreciate my friend's honesty. And I think what he says really does point out that there are limitations to our newfound love of stillness. Stillness is a really, really good thing. I imagine almost all of us would benefit in some way or another from slowing down and building better rhythms of rest into our lives. However, it can certainly be taken too far. Because to put it bluntly, when you're still, things don't get done, do they? Now, some of those things you might find out when you're still, you didn't need to do in the first place, which is an interesting discovery. But actually, some of the things we're required to do are actually rather important. And so while a good proportion of the country has been stilled at this time, what it's meant is that another sector of society has had to pick up the workload. They've picked up the slack. So I know it sounds kind of obvious, but when some are still, others need to be working. That's how it has to be. Not everyone can be still all of the time. Now, this might sound very obvious to you, but the Bible takes this idea and it builds on it and takes it much deeper. The Bible has lots to say about stillness and about rhythms of rest and getting the pace of life right. Right at the beginning, you see God instituting this thing called Sabbath. And that's most famously known uh, to be referring to one day a week uh, where God encourages people to have a day of rest, to not do any work. For Jews, that would be on a Saturday. Christians took it and shifted it on a day to Sunday, to the Lord's Day, the day when Jesus rose from the dead. But interestingly, the Sabbath is not just a day where you were meant to stop working to help you to be more efficient in the future, to conserve energy. Now, that's kind of in there somewhere, but there's more to it than that. It's meant to be a day where you recognise someone else who is working. And even more than that, you recognise that it is that someone else's work who is decisively important and not yours. As many of us have experienced over this time, as we've been at rest, we found that we wanted to appreciate those who aren't. And so we've stood on our doorsteps clapping at key workers. We've given money to charities. We've put up messages in our window. Well, just like that, the Sabbath is a time to show appreciation to the God who works all things together all the time. Practicing Sabbath, not just once a week, uh, but continually through the day, pacing yourself, building good rhythms, refusing to give in to workaholism and drivenness. Well, that's a statement that it's not my blood, sweat and tears that keep this world running. No, that's God's job. Sabbath is not a rejection of work but it puts our work into perspective. My friend Pat 
who was the oldest of uh, our contributors to the Vox Pops, and therefore in most likelihood the wisest, she articulated the spirit of Sabbath really interestingly and took it in a new direction in what she said. I don't know if you remember what that was. I'll read it to you. She said that as she'd been at rest, she'd learned to enjoy the garden, looking at the trees coming out to new life and the flowers, and just knowing that God's in control there and not us. Now, not all of you who are listening will be in the same place as Pat, I imagine, regarding the existence of God. But surely the question she raises is one that's crossed all of our minds at this time, isn't it? Who is in control in this unprecedented situation? And while we might not all agree on the positive answer that Pat gives, I think for most of us, we have been faced with the reality of who isn't in charge at the moment. Well, who isn't it? It's not us. The pandemic has shown up that human beings are far less in control than we thought we were, than we'd been led to believe. So then, the first lesson we've reflected on is that we've learnt, many of us, to appreciate stillness. The second lesson I want to look at is that we found out that we are not in control. Nothing upsets our feeling of control like a natural disaster. Now, when people cause a problem, it could be obviously incredibly serious, but it it feels somewhat manageable because we kind of understand people because, let's face it, we are people. And so it's quite possible we won't be able to do anything about it if a human starts causing trouble. But we do know the kind of things we could do to potentially change their behaviour. Depending on who we are, I suppose, we could use money. We could use uh, physical strength. Some of us could, anyway. Or we could use rational argument. But that doesn't work if the natural world itself turns on you. You can't bribe an earthquake. You can't wrestle a tornado. You can't reason with a virus. And for this reason, one of the great human projects uh, since human beings uh, started off has been to conquer or at the very least tame nature. For thousands of years humans cowered uh, under this apparently undefeatable enemy that controlled our lives completely. Unpredictable weather, unstoppable plagues, natural disasters, uncrossable seas, unscalable mountains. But slowly over time it seemed like the tide had begun to turn didn't it? The industrial revolution And then in more recent years, the technological revolution appeared to have given us the upper hand rather than decisively. We've had huge leaps in in hygiene, in transport, in medicine, in meteorology. We've come to understand the natural world much better as well. And it's given us the impression that, well, perhaps nature isn't such a big deal after all. We've got it all in hand. I mean, we run this planet, don't we? We're top of the food chain and nature needs to fall in line. And therefore, as we've learned how to tame wild animals and uh, get rid of smallpox, I think we've started to put our eyes onto an even more formidable natural foe, death itself. Death is the ultimate natural threat, isn't it? But little by little, I think death has begun to shrunk a a bit in our minds, at least That's what we've led ourselves to believe anyway. One of the simple reasons for this would be that life expectancy has shot through the roof in the last 150 or so years. 
Now, if you're listening to this and you were born in 1841, when you were born, you would have been expected to live 40 years. So, well done. You've done pretty well. A bit by average if you're still listening to this and you were born then. On the other hand, uh, in 2015, the Daily Telegraph uh, ran an article in which it predicted that by the next generation, children would expect to be living till 100 years old. That's quite some jump. And so when we live in that sort of climate, the natural question to ask is, can't we just go one step further? Can't we just get rid of pesky death after all? Now, obviously, over time, people have dreamt up things like the fountain of eternal youth and such like uh, over and over again. But actually, more recently, serious philosophical movements have begun to take those dreams and put a lot of money and research into seeing whether they're actually possible. The journalist Mark O'Connell summed up the beliefs and goals of one such philosophical movement that you might have heard of, a movement called transhumanism, in his book uh, in 2017. The book's called To Be a Machine. This is what he wrote. It is their belief, as transhumanists, that we can and should eradicate ageing as a cause of death that we can and should use technology to augment our bodies and our minds, that we can and should merge with machines, remaking ourselves finally in the image of our own higher ideals. Now, I said a few minutes ago that not all of us believe in God, and that's definitely the case, but it's at this point that I can't resist bringing God forcefully into the conversation. You see, while many people in the Western world would claim not to believe in God and would uh, also say they're not religious, the way that we've been talking in our culture in these sort of ways has taken a distinctly religious tone to it. If you claim to be able to conquer nature to the degree that you're considering whether you can eradicate ageing as a form of death, according to the categories that have been laid out by all cultures since language has developed, you are, for all intents and purposes, claiming to be God, or at least claim to be one of the gods. Friedrich Nietzsche, the great German philosopher, made this point very starkly at the end of the 19th century. Nietzsche's famous uh, for the phrase, God is dead. That's like Nietzsche's slogan for some people. But he didn't mean by that that God had been alive for a bit and then had expired in some way. No, he meant that the idea of God may have served human beings up to a certain point. But if we wanted to evolve past that, if we really wanted to fulfil our potential as a species, well, we had to put that childish notion behind us and stop believing that such a being exists. But interestingly, Nietzsche didn't think that was going to be easy. He didn't think we could just go, well, we believed in God for loads of years, get rid of that. Well, hey, that's a simple thing. Not at all. He, he argued that there was something in us that kind of... Uh, saw after a god-like being so much that if we got rid of god we would have to replace him we would have to become like gods ourselves at least act in that way and think in that way now, i disagree with nietzsche's uh, overall conclusion i don't believe that god is dead but i wonder if the last century or so has proved him right in some ways especially in recent years our opinion of ourselves as a race has taken on magnificent proportions. Man has truly become seen as the measure of all things. William Ernest Henley's famous poem Invictus ends with these stirring lines. I am the master of my fate. 
I am the captain of my soul. Whether you've heard that poem or not, you might hear those words and say, yeah, of course. You might agree completely without realising that you're making a very strong and unusual philosophical and theological conclusion. That's the kind of language that for most people in almost every culture has been used of God. And you see, the whole tone of things in most of our whole lifetimes has been that in our minds we have become God, or at least very like the concept of God that most people would be familiar with. To use Nietzsche's turn of phrase, we have killed God and we have taken his place. Well, that's what we thought. Because then COVID-19 came around. It's helpful to note that the virus that's causing so many problems at the moment isn't a wildly exotic thing. It's not something that came from space, as far as we're aware. It's not something out of a science fiction movie that turns us into zombies or werewolves or vampires. What is it? Well, it's the distant relative of the common cold. And it's brought almost the entire world to its knees. The whole pandemic, in some ways, seems like this terrible and bitter and painfully real parable about human pride. And it must be a serious wake-up call to all of us to say, listen, you are not in control here. Actually, you never were. And if we're not in control, if we're not God, if we can't take his throne, then surely it seems sensible to at least investigate other candidates for that position. To go back, wind back the clock, to, to say to people like Nietzsche, well, wait a minute, let's just question your conclusion slightly. Maybe not God, the God you thought of is not as dead as you thought he was. And I put forward Pat's conclusion and the conclusion of Christians throughout the world today and, and throughout the Christian tradition throughout time and say, well, maybe, just maybe. Who's, who's God at the moment? Well, it's God. There's a verse in the Bible that brings together all of this stuff I've been talking about, uh, I think really neatly. And it's found in the book of Psalms. Psalms is the uh, book that was essentially uh, the ancient Jewish hymn book. And so this verse would have been sung in the communal religious life of the Jewish people. And it says this, Be still and know that I am God. And for me, this is the lesson that I think I'm learning at this time. And it's the one that I'd want to put forward to you to reflect on as well. And to help us to do that, James from Church Central North uh, sent me a poem the other day. Now, interestingly, he had no idea what direction I was going to take this presentation in. But strangely, his poem sort of sums up all of this stuff uh, and particularly articulates the verse in the Psalms that I've just said. This is his poem. Be still. Distill. From traffic hum, crisp chaffinch chimes, and song thrush trills adorn dark times. Their songs, held fast as in a gin by man's dull drones, now rise again. Their spirit calls to heaven's heights, and stars respond with brighter lights. Be still, and fill the earth with joyful songs again, herald the end of winter's reign, the voice of gentlest turtle dove whispers the news of father's love 
out of distress, alluring me to inner courts intimacy. As we conclude, I just want to clarify what I'm putting to you today. I'm not suggesting that the COVID-19 pandemic finally settles the question, is there a God? In fact, it might throw up all sorts of other questions around that question. But what I am saying is this, that it makes that question far more relevant to us than it may have seemed a couple of months ago. While there could be many different ideas about God, and there certainly are around the world, the writer of Psalm 46 had a very specific view of God. And at a time when, for many of us, we've been slowed right down and are reflecting on our own fragility and vulnerability and asking significant questions, I want to recommend this God to you, the Christian God, the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God who is outside of our world, yet he's deeply concerned with what goes on here and about our lives in particular. He's our creator. He made us. And actually, we are completely accountable to him. Yet at the same time, he's kind and he's loving and he offers all of us a way to be saved, to live truly flourishing lives, to be human in the truest sense of that word. He's a God who doesn't say distant from our sufferings and our grief and our loss. No, he came down to the planet in the person of Jesus. And he himself submitted himself to suffering, to a Roman execution. Actually dying to pay some sort of ransom for us. Dying in our place, paying the penalty we deserve to pay for the things that we've done wrong. So that actually through Jesus, we can connect meaningfully with God, not primarily as our judge or just some faceless cosmic superpower, but as a friend, even as our father. I'd imagine unless you're a card-carrying Christian already, you'd have some pretty significant questions about all of the things I've said. But that's where my encouragement lies. My encouragement would be, why not put some time into those very questions? I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine a few years back uh, about matters of faith and about Christianity. And he, he said, look, this is very interesting. And, uh, uh, and um, some of it kind of sounds like it might be worth investigating. But please, when am I going to get the time to look into this anymore? I'm so busy. Well, maybe for some of us now could be that time. What if the claims of Christianity are not simple, foolish and naive? It's quite the opposite. It's just that they need some time to think them through. Now, in a few minutes, I'm going to close and give you a very, very practical way you could do that. But for the last time today, I want to just introduce you to some more of my friends. This time uh, is to Lam, uh, Lam Chin and Patty Tan. And um, they're going to share in a bit more detail what they've learned in this crisis. And I want to share an extract from a, a Zoom interview I, I did with them the other day. Uh, very early on in the crisis, Lam Ching got very ill and I asked him uh, to explain what happened and what their response was. I was taken ill on the 16th of March. I was supposed to be helping a colleague uh, downstairs that day, but I'd forgotten. And then I was, uh, because I wasn't feeling well, so I was lying down in my office. And then I got bleed to go to my the theatre downstairs to help. But when I went there, the, the, the nurses there looked at me and said, that you can't go to theatre, you, you are not well, you have a temperature. And so they refused to let me go in. I then, I was, then went back to my office because I had a clinic in the afternoon. But I, wasn't feel, I, was getting, I was feeling worse as the time progresses. 
So I went back to my office and then I was lying uh, on, on the chairs in my office. And then my colleague basically knocked on my door and told me to go home. And that's when I went home. So when I came back home, that's when my temperature went up. Uh, and, and, then that's, and then after that, I just basically got worse. And how long then were you, were you ill for and what were the symptoms? So initially, my symptoms was that I, I, I felt uh, hot. I had a temperature. I had a headache. Uh, and I just felt really tired. And then I think uh, a few days late, later, I started developing a cough. Uh, and then I was aching all over, basically, and I couldn't sleep uh, at night. I, when I had the temperature, I had a, either I feel extremely hot or I feel extremely cold. I was basically shivering. So I was having rigors. And uh, I was either having, hugging hot water bottles because I was feeling so cold or just taking everything off because I was feeling ice so packs. hot. And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I was putting ice packs on myself to cool myself down, really. I think there was a time where I think uh, Patty was worried I may have a fit because my temperature went up to nearly 40 at one point. No, I mean, thanks for sharing all that. So on the basis of that, I guess the question is, uh, what have you learned about yourself through the experience? I think the first thing that when I was really sick uh, was about myself that I've learned is uh, I, I think God reminded me about my mortality. Uh, and I think uh, there's a verse in uh, Psalm 39, which I thought was very apt. It says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. So I think at that point in time when I was really sick, uh, there was a time where I think I do reflect on my mortality. The other thing that it has taught me about me is that I think in times of crisis, it reminded me how desperate I am for God. Uh, I think, I think uh, Psalm 91 uh, verse 1 says, uh, those who live in the shadow of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And I think... Uh, it tells God, I think, has been very gracious to me. Uh, I felt God's presence with me during the time that I was sick. And I think I felt him more acutely, more than normal. And uh, I think this verse, I think, sums it up very uh, well. It says that if you live in the shadow of God, you will find rest in him. And I did find rest in him. I think when the, um, just before the lockdown and there was all the news about, um, the virus coming to the country and everything. Um, I was quite concerned, um, but it was it didn't actually hit home until Lanchin came home with the temperature. And it was from that day that things started getting a bit more serious. Um, and from that day on, I really felt I needed God, really needed um, to hang on to the Lord. Um, and then throughout Lanchin's um, illness, of it going up and down, temperature rises and things like that, it was just, I can only explain it like a nightmare roller coaster. But I endured it because God was with me. Also, I felt, um, I think, learned about myself was that I could be real with God. 
in times of my weakness and when I was anxious, I was fearful for Lam Chen and I couldn't go in and, and, and actually care for him because we all had to self-isolate. And he was on his own in the bedroom, having to self-isolate himself. That was really difficult. And I felt that I could be myself with the Lord, um, with my, me being anxious, being, you know, totally didn't know what to do except just carry on and took every day as it came. But with the support of the Lord, um, so I could be real with him and know that God was there. And ultimately, I knew that God was in control. So I had that reassurance and that peace that even though we were on this roller coaster, sometimes Lam Chin was getting better. The next minute, he was really bad. And you just didn't know what every day brought. So those are the things that I... Um, that the crisis had taught me because it, it was really, um, it really hit home with, with Lamchin um, having COVID-19. But we praise the Lord that he's got better and, uh, yeah. So let's conclude then. A lot of us, it seems, are learning the importance of stillness. Others are pondering our apparent lack of control and fragility at these times. And I've put those two things together today in this presentation to encourage us to let those things lead us to God. As we've heard from Lamchin and Patty and some of the others in the clips too, that's been their experience. They've gone to God. But that's easy to say if you actually believe in God. And I, I suppose it's even easier if you're familiar with the rituals uh, and kind of ways of doing things of a religious system like Christianity. But what if you aren't familiar with those things? And what if you don't believe that God even exists? Well, let's end by getting very, very practical. Church Central are starting two new courses to help you to investigate uh, these sort of claims. And they, they're called Alpha Courses. And essentially, each session will feature a video of about 25 minutes uh, that looks at an element of the Christian faith. And then the bulk of the evening is given over to a discussion on the content of the video and related matters. Uh, and you're free to agree, to disagree, to put forward alternative viewpoints, uh, any of those things. And basically to really engage with the big questions of life. Now, one of these Alpha courses is going to start on a Monday evening from 8 to 9.30. And the other one, which is specifically for students, will be on a Thursday afternoon from 2 to 2.30. Now, if you'd like to come, please sign up to the relevant Eventbrite and all the details are on our website. But for now, if you're listening to this before 10.45 a.m. on Sunday the 31st of May, very specific, I know. Well, if that's you, uh, if you'd like, now is your turn to join the conversation as we're going to take it to Zoom for half an hour uh, of a Q&A session. And Becky's going to be there and I'm going to be there and Lamchin and Patty are going to be there. And if you'd like to be there too, uh, follow the instructions on the screen and I'll see you very shortly. Thanks for listening.